Hi, and welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal situation or circumstances. So we have a couple announcements before we get started. I don't remember when this was, but some podcast episode in the past, we talked about our conference. And our conference has been delayed, shockingly. So it's <laughs> no longer... Mark? I know. Apparently, <laughs> apparently there's a COVID outbreak. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't just read the... I thought you didn't meet the deadline. Yeah. I don't read the newspaper much, yeah. but yeah, somebody <laughs> told me that's happening. Okay. So we're pushing the conference back. It originally was in October. We're pushing back to February 3rd, but tickets obviously are still available. So we're going to do the same thing we did originally, mm-hmm. is that if anyone leaves us a rating and a comment... And then emails my email address, which is in the show notes, we will give you a discount. So we'll give you a free ticket if you would like to attend online. And we'll give you a heavily discounted ticket if you'd like to come join us in Sydney in person. And if you've already left us a rating and a comment, you can obviously email us. And yeah, just we'll email do the same thing. Exactly. Exactly. So that's our first announcement. Our second announcement, and I'm going to embarrass you a little bit here, Shanika. Oh, so you got promoted. <laughs> Which is really exciting. Yeah. So, I don't think Will even knows this. So. Well, no, nobody knows. So there is a caveat. So Shawnee, Shawnee did get promoted to senior investment specialist. And I'm incredibly proud of you. Thanks, and man. just really, really happy that I get to work with you. And Shawnee works so hard. And a lot of the reason she works really hard is to try to help people get better investment outcomes, which hopefully you're getting from listening to this podcast. So lucky that I get to work with you. Me too. I'm really excited to keep, you know, not keep working at Morningstar, not like I was leaving, but <laughs> to stay at Morningstar and um, and obviously work on our team as well. Something that I'm really passionate about. I'm passionate about individual investors and their outcomes. So yeah, just grateful I get to do that. Well, that's well, that's awesome. Now, while you were saying about Will, it, this hasn't been announced yet. Yeah. <laughs> so Will, you need to keep the secret. So it's going to be announced on Monday. So it is now Thursday. So we just got to make sure that no one listens to the podcast on Sunday from our team. Yeah, I think that's a pretty safe bet. Yeah, okay. Um, so <laughs> anyway, so that's that's the exciting news. But today, we're not just going to talk about Shawnee and her promotion. We're also going to talk about cash. And cash can be seen as something that's pretty boring. And there are a lot of strong opinions out there about cash. And hopefully this episode will make it a little more exciting then it sounds on the surface. Is that a plan? Mm-hmm. Sounds like a plan. So okay. the backdrop to this whole conversation is, of course, the interest rate environment. And as everyone knows, you are getting next to nothing off of savings accounts or term deposits right now. So Mark, if we are talking all things cash, where do we start? Yeah, well, we want to talk about the investment implications about holding cash. So we need to, of course, talk about what we always do. So what role cash can play in helping you achieve your goals? But we're going to start with risk. And we've always made distinctions about how the investment industry views risk and how many investors should view risk. We're going to start actually this time with the investment industry. So, Shani, why don't you explain how to look at cash in that light? Yeah, so the investment industry measures risk as volatility. And volatility is, of course, how much the price of a security or a portfolio bounces around. Cash, of course, is no volatility, which means it has no risk. And that means that if you have a dollar in the bank, it's going to stay at $1. The Financial Claims Scheme, or the FCS, is an Australian government program that protects cash balances up to $250,000. That's in banks. So that means if a bank goes out of business, you don't lose the money in your bank account up to that amount. 
Okay, so cash in the bank is risk-free, and, and that's, of course, a good thing. But as investors, we know that there's a relationship between risk and reward. So if we take on more risk, we should be rewarded with higher expected returns. So share prices, they have a lot of volatility, and they also have higher expected returns. So when we think about cash, which has no volatility, it, of course, has the lowest expected return of any asset class. And there are a lot of people out there thinking, no kidding, you just spent two minutes explaining that cash is safe and you don't earn much of a return. But we're really trying to be consistent here with how we explain things. You're like the old wise men in movies who speak solely in rhetorical questions. <laughs> okay. Um, that's, that's interesting. Thank you for saying wise and not old, which is what you normally say. Now, wise, of course, means- I think I did say old. Yeah, exactly. Wise does mean the same thing as old, but okay, I guess I'll take that. Maybe it's because I was nice to you at the beginning and mm -hmm. talked about how much I enjoy working with you, but who knows? Um, you know, one thing- you may think I'm old, yeah. but because of the fit fin and this, he's, of course, my personal trainer now. You should be getting like, this is like a sponsorship. It you is. You should be getting free classes. It is. So he puts me through this painful hip stretching exercise. <laughs> you got tight hips, mate. Yes. He told me I had tight <laughs> hips, but now he says I have the hip flexibility of a 20-year-old. That's younger than me. I know. Yeah. I know. I have terrible hips. Okay. Like flexibility. <laughs> Should uh, we move on? Yeah, we should. Okay. We should. <laughs> Instead of pondering how flexible 20-year-old hips are, why don't we turn our attention to what role cash plays in helping you achieve your goals? As Mark talked about earlier, that's the way that we prefer to assess risk and investments. Because when you define risk as volatility, you forget that the biggest risk to all of us is not achieving our goals. So what's the point of saving and investing money for a goal like retirement if you have no chance of actually achieving it? And this is the perfect example of why only defining risk as volatility is a problem. There's some people who might hear the volatility risk description of cash and say, that's perfect for me. I'm worried about losing money and want to make sure I don't do that. So I'll just keep my money in cash. And this isn't some academic argument. I've got friends that make this argument to me. They're so worried about market fluctuations and so fixated on the notion that investing is gambling that they just keep their money in cash. Yeah. And here's the thing. So you're 28 years old right now. Mm. So let's assume your friends are all 28 too. Mm -hmm. That means that y'all have 37 years left to work until you turn 65. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in your case, whether you're working at Morningstar or you've moved on to your wine store slash florist, <laughs> you're going to have to save money for retirement. And when you're 65 years old, let's say that you need to support yourself for another 25 years until you're 90, which I think is pretty realistic. So if you need 70% of your salary to support yourself in retirement, that means that you're going to have to start saving upwards of 47% of your salary for the next 37 years. And 47% isn't realistic for most people, which simply means that keeping your savings in cash isn't going to help you achieve your goals, and that's the risk you should be worried about. But that 47% that Mark decided is leaving out one very big thing, and that thing is inflation. We save and invest so that we can spend money later. That goal we hope to achieve is going to cost money. So whether that goal is retirement, a house, a boat, or... My goal of that florist wine shop, you need to frame that goal around what you are going to purchase with your money and not just some dollar amount. And inflation, of course, reduces the purchasing power of money and cash in the bank is currently getting an interest rate that is lower than inflation. So that means that even if you were 28 and save 47% of your salary, you still aren't going to reach your long-term retirement goals. As investors, we care about real returns and not nominal returns. A nominal return is what you always hear. The market went up 10%. 
but a real return also accounts for inflation. So in that example, if inflation was 2%, then you had a real return of 8%. And that is a return that matters because we, of course, need to spend that money we are saving and investing on whatever we want in the future. And over the long term, cash isn't going to do much for you. For instance, according to Deutsche Bank, cash has had a negative 0.67% annual real return over the past 15 years, mean, meaning that just holding cash will result in less purchasing power. If we go back 200 years, the real return on cash is just 1.73% per year. Now, that is why you need to invest. But since this is an investing podcast, we hopefully don't need to convince most people listening that investing is important. <laughs> So why don't we spend the rest of this episode talking about the role cash can play in an investment portfolio? Saying we're looking at cash in the context of an investment portfolio is an important distinction here. An investment portfolio is designed to help you achieve a longer-term goal. We're not talking about an emergency fund. An emergency fund should, of course, be in cash, and the purpose of an emergency fund is to protect your portfolio by enabling you to deal with unexpected events without having to sell off your portfolio. But as investors, we never want to be forced to sell things out of our portfolio, except at a time of our choosing. Yeah, and it is important to note about an emergency fund that it doesn't matter how low the interest rate is, you still need to have one. If you don't, you could be forced to sell off shares during an event like the global financial crisis, and you definitely don't want to do that. So let's turn our attention back to cash's place in an investment portfolio. Your portfolio can be in an accumulation phase and a deaccumulation phase. Accumulation is when you're saving and investing, and of course, deaccumulation is when you're using your portfolio to pay for your goal. That can happen in an instant if your goal is a down payment on a house, or over decades if we're talking about retirement. So let's start with the accumulation phase. What role can cash play in a portfolio, Mark? We've had many episodes talking about asset allocation. So asset allocation is the mix of different asset classes in your portfolio, and that should be aligned to the required rate of return needed to achieve your goals. In other words, you want to take on enough risk to achieve the returns needed to meet these goals. Our earlier example showed why just keeping your savings in cash isn't good enough for most people. So as part of your asset allocation, you may have an allocation to cash. And the impact cash will have on your portfolio is to lower your volatility while reducing the expected return of your portfolio. So the more cash you hold, the less your portfolio will bounce around, but also the lower long-term return you can expect to receive. In any given year, the market can, of course, fall significantly. And in those cases, cash would improve your return. But over the long term, the share market has historically gone up. So that's why cash dampens long-term returns. Morningstar Premium is designed to help you reach your investing goals. Our coverage spans over 50,000 securities and 2,000 funds and ETFs. Sign up to a four-week free trial through the link in the episode notes to access our global equity best ideas for our top picks across borders. Find shares with sustainable, above-average dividend payouts and the best opportunities at home with five-star Aussie stocks. A Morningstar Premium subscription includes a share-side investor plan, allowing you to track all of your investment holdings in one place. And take advantage of ShareSide's investment performance and tax reporting that has been built specifically for the needs of self-directed investors. If you love premium after your four-week trial and choose to subscribe, your subscription may be tax-deductible if you derive income from the share market. Sign up for a free trial today. So let's use a simplistic example. Let's say you have a two-asset portfolio, shares and cash. The share portion of your portfolio returns 7% and the cash portion returns 1%. If you have 10% cash in your portfolio, you'll earn a return of 6.4%. If you up the cash allocation to 20%, then your portfolio will earn a return of 5.8%. 
That's how cash lowers your return, but it can also dampen volatility because despite how things have gone recently, markets also go down. If shares fall by 7%, cash will still return 1%. Then with 10% allocated to cash, you would have an overall return of minus 6.2%. And with a 20% allocation to cash, you'll have an overall return of minus 5.4%. As we move into portfolios in the deaccumulation phase, we'll talk about how cash can lower volatility. But let's focus on the return aspect because that will lead us into tactical cash allocations. Before you call me an old man again or wise (laughs) man... Um, trying to overly complicate things, <laughs> I want to offer a bit of an explanation on why I'm doing this. As humans, we're hardwired to make poor investing decisions. We get influenced by greed, which means we're prone to take on too much risk at market highs, and we get influenced by fear and tend to sell at market lows. So to prevent yourself from getting carried away, it is sometimes good to have a system to guide your decision making. So before you go on, let's quickly define strategic asset allocation and tactical asset allocation. Strategic asset allocation is your long-term asset allocation target. That is a process of defining your goal, calculating your required rate of return, and then figuring out how to allocate assets to get that return. So you may decide that you need 90% growth assets and 10% cash to achieve your goal. Meanwhile, a tactical asset allocation may be a short-term deviation from the strategic asset allocation that you make based on market conditions. And we do need to be clear that making a tactical asset allocation decision should not be done lightly. Because regardless of your rationale and how good it is, this is still market timing. In many cases, a tactical allocation decision involves cash. So an average investor is probably not going to move 2% of their portfolio from listed property to infrastructure because they see some anomaly in the relative positioning of these two asset classes. It's more likely somebody might invest extra cash in shares if they see an opportunity or build up a bit of cash if they don't see any opportunities. And that's an underrated aspect of cash, because having some cash in your portfolio allows you to take advantage of opportunities. Just like having an emergency fund ensures you don't have to sell shares when you don't want to, having some cash in your portfolio means that you can buy shares when they're on sale. And, you know, we've talked about this a bunch on here, but that's what you're trying to do, Mark. Yeah, yeah. And I I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I do... Want to give a caveat because while I think it's important for the two of us to be transparent about the approach we take with investing, people also shouldn't just do what we do because investing, after all, is based on personal circumstances. So, yes, you're right, Shani. I made a tactical asset allocation decision to let cash build up in my portfolio. And at this point, I have more than double what I would normally hold in defensive assets, namely cash. And I've been able to do this because returns have been so strong that my required rate of return has come down. And I want to use this cash to take advantage of opportunities. And while I don't know when the market will fall, I know that it eventually will. So I've probably got 18 years or so before I need to start positioning my portfolio for retirement. So in 18 years, we're going to see multiple bear markets. We're also likely to see one or more of those bear markets being one of those 50% drops. And given the run we have been on with the market, that scenario that Mark described may seem unlikely, especially for new investors. But remember that if we look at the S&P 500 since 1900, there have been 33 bear markets where there has been a drop of at least 20%. That means we've averaged a bear market every 3.6 years. And those are the opportunities that I want to be prepared to take advantage of. And that doesn't mean trying to catch the market at the bottom and That's very difficult. We do need to admit that. But it does mean building long-term positions in great companies at reasonable prices. So what about you, Shani? What is your view on the cash in your portfolio? 
Yeah, it's um, similar to you. I do keep some cash for opportunities and I've contributed to my super and my investments as planned. But if I have funds left after every pay period, um, usually I would invest that too. Um, But I've been saving that in cash instead of investing it since March last year. So I had some spare cash where I was doing the same thing and I invested that during the March downturn. And I've just continued to build that cash position up in small increments to take advantage of opportunities and in terms of my investment portfolio, I do have holdings in funds that um, have a mandate to hold some cash. So I do have exposure to cash within my investments as well. Okay. Yeah, no, that's a good point. So we aren't the only ones that keep cash sitting in portfolios because we don't see many opportunities right now. As Shani mentioned, some fund managers do that as well. And this is not without controversy. And Shani, you keep telling me that you love scandal. <laughs> I never know I never know what to say when you tell me you love scandal, but you love scandal. So why don't you tell us about these two opposing viewpoints of fund managers holding cash? Okay. So there is one camp that believes a fund manager should not hold any cash. And the theory is basically that an investor can choose if they hold cash and how much to invest in a certain strategy. And that strategy should be executed fully. So this means that if you invest in a global ETF, you should get exposure to global shares, not cash. Okay. Now, to have scandal, you need like another camp, Mm. right? So what does the other camp say here? (laughs) The other camp says that um, the view is that you're hiring an active manager and you need to let them make decisions. So if there is nothing that they think is worthwhile purchasing, they shouldn't go out there and buy something for the sake of buying it. That that seems like good advice. So Mm An example of this, we can take a look at the Platinum International ETF. So that is the ticker symbol PIXX. So it currently holds a little over 9% in cash, which, of course, is a big allocation, especially considering this would go into the growth portion of your portfolio, this ETF. But just as we were talking about with our tactical allocation to cash, which represents a short-term deviation from a strategic asset allocation, we can say the same thing about these managers. So how should investors look at the global equity, this global equity ETF, with that allocation to cash? Well, more than anything, I think it's indicative of what the manager thinks about the state of the market. And we can infer that the manager believes that there will be better opportunities in the future, meaning that markets may fall. In a rising market, that 9% allocation will cause the ETF to underperform against the index as the index has no cash in it. So in summary, in the accumulation phase, when you are still saving and investing to reach a goal, cash can be used for opportunities. Mm. So let's shift our focus to the deaccumulation phase. In that case, we can use cash for safety. So why don't you walk us through that concept, Shani? As we often say, short-term volatility is something that most investors pay far too much attention to. The real risk is not achieving your goal, and that is what investors should concentrate on. If you have a long way to go to your goal, you shouldn't focus on how much your portfolio bounces around, but instead keep focused on staying invested in the appropriate asset mix and continuing to save. It's the destination, not the journey you need to be concerned about. But as you approach your goal, the biggest risk to achieving it can be volatility. So let's go through two different examples. So first, we can go through a lump sum goal, and that would be like saving for a house. So a lump sum goal means that you need a certain amount of money on a certain date. Well, if I'm saving for a house, it means that I need a down payment. That down payment needs to be in cash so I can close on the house, which means I need to convert the assets in my portfolio into cash. In this case, volatility is a real risk. Okay. So for example, let's say it's the 1st of January, 2020, and you have been diligently saving for a house and you finally hit your goal of, let's say, $100,000 and you want to purchase this house on March 15th. So your whole down payment is saved in Vanguard Australian Shares ETF or VAS, which your good mate Laura really likes. Yeah. That's why I keep using it as an example. (laughs) So while you are planning out your... I'm a homeowner Instagram post, which are always ridiculous. (laughs) Someone 
in China is visiting the wet market in Wuhan. <laughs> and of course, when March 15th rolls around, your $100,000 in VAS is now worth $78,440. And once again, if you think the pandemic was an outlier and won't happen again, that is probably true. But a bear market is not some outlier. As we said earlier, they occur every 3.6 years. While many investors are complacent right now, given the run we're on, you really shouldn't be. The other unusual thing about this latest bear market is how short it is. The average bear market is 9.6 months, and the post-Nifty 50 bear market in the early 70s lasted for around 21 months. So if you have a lump sum goal, you need to be cognizant that keeping it invested as you approach your goal is very, very risky. And many people say that for any lump sum goal that is less than two years away, you should probably move to cash. But we don't love rules of thumb here on Investing Compass. We want to give you the knowledge and understanding to make your own decisions. If we look at the S&P 500 from 1986 to the end of 2020 and look at rolling one-year periods, it posted a loss roughly 18% of the time. During that same stretch, it has posted losses over three-year rolling periods 12% of the time. The real question for all of you to consider is what are the consequences if you don't hit the goal? That can dictate how conservative you need to be. This is a perfect example of how cash provides you with the safety for lump sum deaccumulation. Yeah, right. So if I'm saving up for like a black market liver, which I need to (laughs) save my life, I should probably go to cash. But perhaps a home purchase I could delay a little easier. If there was someone that I know that would need a liver, it would probably be made first. Well, thank you for that. Move on from Mark's illicit organ purchases and talk about a non lump sum goal. The perfect example of this is retirement. In this case, you may have a number in mind that allows you to retire, but you aren't actually spending the whole amount right away. That retirement number you have is supposed to represent a portfolio value that you believe can support you during retirement. So, how should we think about cash in this situation? Well, in this case, the risk is retiring in a bear market because that's going to impact how long your portfolio will last. So that is longevity risk. And we've covered this topic before, but in summary, even though your portfolio will have to last a long time, you still need to start funding portfolio withdrawals the minute you hit retirement because you need something to live off of. So in this case, you are selling assets in a down market, which means even if it goes up later, you have less assets invested to help you recover. So in this case, the real risk is selling your retirement portfolio when you don't want to. The same thing that you're trying to avoid with an emergency fund. So once again, holding cash in your portfolio is the answer. The cash will do two things. It will dampen volatility, which basically means that your portfolio won't fluctuate up or down because a portion in cash won't fluctuate. The other advantage of the cash is that it can fund your withdrawals, which means that if you remove those withdrawals from the cash portion of your portfolio, you don't have to sell off your other assets. And this is really the thinking behind the bu- bucket method of transitioning to retirement. Did you almost say Buffett? I almost did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just really wanted a drink. There's there's yeah. actually a bottle of wine sitting next to me yeah. that I'm going to drink during our webinar tonight. Mark sent me on an errand this morning to get him wine. So. I asked you to do me a favor yeah. and not send you on an errand. <laughs> yeah. Shawnee brought the wine back successfully, which is actually how she earned her promotion. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, heard it here first. Anyway, the bucket method of transitioning to retirement. The amount that you hold in cash can be assessed based on how much you need to withdraw to support your life. If you're using a 4% withdrawal rate, then one year in the cash bucket is, of course, 4% of your portfolio. If you want to be a little more conservative, you can take a multiple of that. Two years is 8%, three years is 12%. You guys get the point. 
But once again, if we look at historical market movements as an indicator, we need to remember that 12% of the time over a rolling three-year period, the S&P 500 has had negative returns. And this is what you do with Karen? It, it is. Your mother? Yeah. So you're now on a first name basis with her. Yeah. That's good. Besties. Yeah. So, you know, in this case, I want to be really conservative with her and have five years of cash. And the last thing we want to cover is where do you put cash? So how should we think about this? Well, the safest thing, once again, if we aren't taking inflation into account, is, of course, just to keep cash in a bank account or term deposit. As we said earlier, up to $250,000 is insured by the government. But there are some cash-like options that many people turn to in order to try to get a little higher yield. So some people, for example, may turn to bonds. So how should people think about that, Shani? This is a case where we need to look at not only the underlying instrument, but also the way that you access it. Many people access bonds through ETFs and funds. It's important to remember that bond ETFs and funds perform a little bit differently than just buying a bond. We did an episode on fixed interest, but as a refresher, if you buy an individual bond, you're of course worried about credit risk. Will you get your money back? And then your return is based on the interest you get paid which seems easy enough. Right, but it doesn't work that way with a fund or ETF. In those cases, you can still lose money even if there are no credit events, meaning even if none of the bonds in this fund or ETF default. So just know if you're substituting an ETF or a fund for cash, you can lose money. You're subject to credit risk and interest rate risk. In the case of a fund or ETF, you can't get bailed out by changes in interest rates by just waiting until the bond matures. The funder ETF, or any index they are tracking, is constantly buying new bonds and will last into perpetuity. So there's no end date when you get your money back. Interest rate risk means that if rates go up, your funder ETF will go down. How much is measured in duration, which is available on all the websites, including our own, but all the websites for funds and ETFs. Duration is measured in years, but basically it means that if interest rates move up or down, the duration will give you an estimate for how much your ETF or fund will change in value in the opposite duration. So a duration of five years means that if the interest rate goes up 1%, the price of the fund or ETF will go down by 5%. And with interest rate risk, the shorter the term of the bond, the less risk there will be. Shorter term bonds or ETFs or funds that hold them will have less interest rate risk than longer term bonds. So keep this in mind if you are trying to solve any of the problems we discussed earlier with bonds instead of cash. They're less volatile than stocks, but they can still bounce around in price. It's particularly true if you believe interest rates may go up in the future. So let's take a look at an example. So the Vanguard Australian Government Bonds ETF, or VGB, is an ETF that invests in Australian government bonds. So very little credit risk here, as everything's rated either AAA or AA, which is the high end of investment-grade bonds. But Shani, why don't you walk us through the volatility measure, since you are now Miss Statistics. Okay. And, Don't know uh, how I earned that title. You are taking a statistics yeah. class right now. <laughs> yeah. So. Okay. Um, well, digging into this ETF a bit on Morningstar Premium, we see that over the past three years, the standard deviation of the ETF is 4.09. Now, standard deviation isn't a measure we would normally tell anyone to pay too much attention to because, as we've said, most investors are too concerned with volatility. But we are looking at cash here and made the point that there's no volatility in cash, and that's an advantage in the situations we're talking about in today's episode. A standard deviation of 4.09 means that given a normal distribution, 66% of the time, this ETF's performance should be within one standard deviation or 4.09%. 
95% of the time, the performance should be within two standard deviations or an 8.8% up or down price change. And that, of course, means that this bond ETF can bounce around in price, so it won't offer you the same level of protection as cash, even though it yields a bit more than cash. And remember, the source of this volatility is mostly from interest rate risk. This ETF has an effective duration of 6.44, which means that if interest rates went up by 1%, we would expect the price to go down by 6.44%. So we've talked a lot about cash today. We've covered the roles cash can play in your portfolio. It can be used as a tactical asset allocation decision, so you're ready for any opportunities that come up. This can involve a lot of patience and discipline in a market that's going up. It can also be used as you're approaching a goal to protect you from the risk that comes from volatility. There isn't too much guidance we can offer you on how to get higher returns on cash other than to shop around. And remember, if you try to get really high returns, you are taking on more risk. And that, of course, is why you're getting the return. So we've gone through the cash episode. Mm -hmm. So hopefully we learned a couple things about cash. (laughs) And we also learned about your promotion. And Mm -hmm. hopefully everybody is as excited and as proud as I am. Thanks, Nate. We also learned that you told everyone that I make you go out and get me wine, <laughs> which is uh, which is a little embarrassing. But the funny thing is, I actually got you one of your favorite things today without you asking. Yeah, Nando's peri peri sauce. Yeah, it's a fave. I put it on everything. I know, and you were out of it, so yeah. <laughs> I'm not as bad of a guy as you portrayed me today. You're a great guy, mate. But anyway, thank you guys very much for joining. Really appreciate it. We would love questions or comments. Once again, send them through to that email address. It's in the episode notes, and we will get you a discount on a ticket to our conference. And also, once again, please follow us on Instagram. We broke through 300. We did. Which is positive. Thank but you. Yeah, we just, yeah, thank you guys very much for following us. We just need to get it higher. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.